Good morning, and welcome to the Lord's House. Uh, I'm Steve Hauer, one of the teaching pastors. We welcome you online as well, or in the room. Awesome that you could be here, whether it's Thanksgiving or Advent. I love, love this season of the year. And it's not for the reason you might expect. I, I think a lot of people love this time of year because they love the tradition. They love the sentimentality. If, if you know me very well at all, you know I'm, I'm not prone to a lot of sentiment. Uh, I was raised in a blue-collar home. Uh, my dad was a World War II, fought in the Pacific kind of guy. Uh, short on words, long on action. And, uh, you know, not a lot of expression of affection in that home, and so I wasn't built that way. But I think most guys are not, in fact. In, in fact, if there were only men in the world, if, if God had not created women, Thanksgiving would be altogether different. There would just be turkey and beer and football. That's, what else do you need? I mean, when your wife asks, how do you want the cranberry sauce this year? Or do you think the green bean casserole? Or what about croissants? What do you think about that? Say, Whatever, you know, it's just not geared that way. You know, God knew that we needed sentiment. God knew that we needed that emotion, you know, that connection. But what I love about this time of year are not necessarily the traditions, but the stories. And the stories are about common people. In fact, Abraham Lincoln once said, uh, God must love common people. He made so many of them, you know. And, and I relate because... I'm like that. We, we read stories about today in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah and Elizabeth. We wouldn't even know about them. They were just so common. There were thousands of them. We wouldn't know their names. Even Mary and Joseph, we wouldn't know about them. But God chose ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that's what I love about this season is this is a, a season where we investigate how God chose people that no one else knew to do something incredible through them. And if God could do that for them, maybe, in fact, I know, God can do that also for me. This series is called The Scandals of Grace. Uh, today it's hard to know the difference between the nightly news and scandal. In, in fact, they pretty much are the same thing. Whether it's a pay-for-play accusation about donations made to a foundation or whether it's a $25 million out-of-court settlement as long as I don't have to admit that the claims of my university were fraudulent, <laughs> whether it's a pop star punching uh, one of his fans in the face this past week, or whether it's uh, uh, professional uh, organizers who are paying people to come from other cities to create unrest in our inner cities, whether it's false news stories or media bias, whether it's car manufacturers admitting that they have fudged emission testing in order to meet minimum requirements, or whether it's the NFL selling an out-of-court uh, uh, issue about concussions as long as they don't have to claim uh, what they knew when they knew it. I mean, we could just go on and on. You know, the news has become scandal. Scandal has become the news. And it's not just national. It's in your family. It's in your relationships. It's in my family as well. Scandals are everywhere. You know, a valued member of the team at work suddenly is gone, isn't there anymore. Not much is said about their departure. You got to wonder, so what actually went down there? Or neighbors down the street separate and put their home up for sale quickly. You wonder, well, who was involved with that and what exactly happened? Or a promising 
college student drops out and enters rehab or your daughter or your niece or your daughter's best friend suddenly announces she's pregnant and dropping out of school when her family had such aspirations for her and she did herself. You wonder what will become of that, you know. Scandals rock our world and rock the world in general. Uh, Well, what is a scandal? A scandal is defined as an action or an event that causes a public response of shock and disapproval. And gossip often ensues. You know, that's clearly a scandal. It's interesting that we have decided to uh, marry scandal with grace because grace is defined as undeserved love and acceptance. No matter what the scandal, no matter what the problem, God walks in. And the Bible says that grace covers a multitude of sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. And God is willing to redeem and restore those who are caught up in scandal. So we're going to look at the scandals that were involved in the coming of Jesus. And we're going to look at God's grace and how it entered into those personal lives. And how it then might also enter into my own personal life. Today we're looking at the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. You may not know, those sound like Old Testament names. It was kind of an Old Testament era still, until Jesus came into the world. But this is actually told in the New Testament by Luke, the same guy who says, you know, that Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem. Uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth were the parents of the one that God chose to prepare the entire nation, and to prepare us also, for the birth of Jesus. Jesus wasn't the first to arrive. You know, first he chose this kinsperson named John to be born a few months prior, and he came preaching a message of repentance, preparing the people uh, for the Savior who would come. And when his mission was fulfilled, he said, now Jesus must increase and I must decrease. My purpose has been fulfilled. And so he prepared people for the coming of Christ. And this is the story of the promise to his parents about his pending birth, John the Baptist, from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In the time of Herod the king of Judea, same Herod who was king when Jesus was born, because Jesus was born only a few months after the birth of John, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And Aaron, of course, was the one who uh, raised up a, a tribe of, um, of priests. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Before God, there was nothing about these people that was not to be admired. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And now they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, various divisions chosen at various times of the year would come up. He was chosen then out of his division by the casting of lots, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple and he would be the priest that day who would burn incense for all the worshipers who had gathered. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside the temple. They couldn't get in the temple. It wasn't like this. You know, the temple was a small place. But they gathered in the courtyards while one went in and made offerings for them. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right-hand side of the altar of incense. Can you imagine, you know, the, the shock of an actual heavenly being in there with him? When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. and He was gripped with fear. 
But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, of course. You've waited so long. And others will also rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He's going to be dedicated servant to the Lord even before he's born. And he will be filled with the Spirit even before he's born. What does that say about life in the womb and being known by God? He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. That's his purpose, to prepare them. And he will go out before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah, an Old Testament prophet who came out of the wilderness. John is also going to come out of the wilderness in that kind of way. To turn the hearts of the parents towards their children. Sentiment. You know, start nurturing your children again. And he will also turn the disobedient back to the wisdom of the righteous. You know, people are going to recognize right from wrong because he's going to call it out. To make ready the people who are prepared for the coming of the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? For I am an old man, and my wife too is well along in years. Seems impossible to me. The angel said to him, Zechariah, I am Gabriel. Just a minute ago you were afraid because God showed up. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be moot, you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens, because you have not believed in my words, which have come true at their appointed time. That's the story about how John uh, entered into the world uh, first through the announcement made to his father. Now, I did mention that this is called scandals, uh, the scandals of grace. What could possibly be scandalous about Zachariah and Elizabeth? I mean, we just read, the scripture said both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. There's no scandal there. These were good folk. And yet it says they observed everything that God commanded And they were blameless in all things. You see right there, red flags pop up for me. You know, are they not human? Do they have some secrets? Are they just allowing me to see this facade of righteousness? I mean, there must be stories. Everybody has stories. Every family has scandals. I wonder what theirs might be. And the more people act righteous, the more people look blameless, the more I wonder what the truth is. In fact, there's even a scripture that says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Do not be overly righteous. Do not be overly wise. Why destroy yourself? (laughs) On the other hand, do not be overly wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears the Lord will avoid all extremes. It's an interesting passage. In fact, if religion for you is do's and don'ts, And you walk the line. How tedious and how burdensome that faith must be. You know, that's not the faith that God intends. You know, a faith of rules. Now, certainly there's right and wrong, and we do well to do what's right. Because therein lies the blessing. But if we step out of line and do what's wrong, God does not love us any less. Amen? In fact, there's a scripture that Paul kind of uh, rephrases this concept from Ecclesiastes where he says, The letter of the law 
kills, but the spirit of the law gives life. You know, the spirit of our faith, it's not right and wrong that is our faith. It's a relationship that we have with God. And, and, and so you got to wonder, you know, if their faith was one of always doing right and never doing wrong, did they really understand the nature of God? Remember the definition of a scandal. It's not how they appeared in the eyes of God as righteous and blameless. It's how they appeared in the eyes of others. That's the definition of a scandal. An action or an event that causes a public response to shock or disapproval. And there were reasons for scandal with these two. The first is this. They were childless. Now, we live in a sophisticated culture. You know, we, we have medicine. We have biology. You know, we have scientific discovery. We know there are a lot of reasons why people may not be able to conceive and have a child. And we don't place any blame. We don't even think necessarily that there's anything wrong in their faith life because they don't have children. But that was not the case in the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth. In fact, I could show you so many Old Testament passages that speak about the fact that uh, if you didn't have children... There must be something wrong in your relationship with God. Now, maybe the most famous story is the story of Jacob. Now, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and Israel's sons, 12 of them, were the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. Now, when Jacob first married, he was actually sent away uh, from a foreign land back to a faithful land to choose a wife for himself. And he was sent to an uncle there who, who had some daughters, and he was to uh, find a wife for himself uh, in that land. When he went back, his eyes fell on Rachel, and he loved Rachel from the get-go. And, and he agreed to work seven years for this man if he would grant him uh, his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And, and so they entered that agreement. After seven years, they had a big party, and uh, he became inebriated. And his father-in-law, instead of giving him Rachel, slipped in his ugly daughter. She was called Leah. And, and uh, Jacob was unaware until the morning and then he says, this is what you've done to me. And, and he, uh, he said, well, I'll, I'll give you Rachel. You just got to work for me a little longer. You know, he did a swindle on the guy. And, and so Jacob received both of these women as his wives. He loved Rachel, Leah, not so much. You know, it was a scandal. It was a trick that his father-in-law had pulled on him. And as a result, God blessed Leah. He had compassion for Leah. And he let Leah bear children to Jacob. But Rachel, no children. And this is how it turns out in Genesis 30. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I will die. And Jacob became angry. The tent got very small. And, uh, and he said to her, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the ability to bear children? So you see the mindset? You know, to not have children was God's doing. So tongues were wagging about Zachariah and Elizabeth. They didn't have children. What had they done? What offense had they given to God that God withheld from them the very basic blessing of man and wife? In fact, there's another passage that we actually sent on an old-fashioned union telegram to uh, our parents when our first uh, child was conceived. When we found out that Carol was pregnant, we, we made no comment, but the phone soon rang when we sent this passage to our folks from Psalm 127. Children are a gift from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of your youth. How blessed is the one who has his quiver full of them, like arrows, you know. A warrior is confident because he has many 
A man is confident because he has many children. They're a gift from God. If you didn't have them, you got to wonder, what's wrong with your walk? There must be a reason. So there was a scandal brewing in the eyes of people, a public response. Secondly, Zechariah had never been chosen by lot to offer incense before the Lord. Never. Now a man became a priest if he was born into the priestly tribe of Levi. Uh, Zechariah was born into that tribe. And at age 25, he was designated a priest. You could be a priest from 25 until 50. And then you retired. You could continue to offer advice. You could continue to do ceremonial duties after that, the Bible tells us. But you were no longer required to make the sacrifice. See, making offerings in the Old Testament was not a matter of passing plates up and down the road. I mean, they actually slaughtered big animals. It was like being a butcher. It was onerous work. It was hard work. It was bloody work. And so at age 50, they were retired. Well, Zechariah was well well beyond that age. But he was uh, now only doing ceremonial work. You could only be chosen to offer incense one time in your priesthood because there were so many priests. And so his division was chosen to come up and serve for a month. And out of his division, they cast lots. And then they always chose the person the lot fell to to offer the incense, you know, on behalf of all the people. Can you imagine he'd been passed over? He'd been passed over? He'd been passed over? He was the only gray beard among a lot of young priests who were waiting to find out if he would be chosen by lot to offer the incense. And he would come home day after day, and Elizabeth would say, not again? You weren't chosen again? I don't know. What does God have against me? Tongues wagged. It was a scandal that he had not been chosen. I'm reminded of the Old Testament story of Job. You know the sufferings of Job, you know, are legendary. You know, when you think about suffering, you think about the old guy, the Old Testament guy, Job. And uh, his friends came to give him counsel and to give him comfort, but not really. They they came to call him out because he wasn't being honest with God or he wouldn't be suffering like this. This is the way the mindset goes among people. In fact, one of his friends in Job chapter 22 said this to him. Is it your piety that causes God to rebuke you? Is it your piety that brings charges against you? Your wickedness must be great, Job. Are not your sins endless? Submit to God and find peace with him. If you return to the Almighty, will you not be restored? That's the way people thought. You know, and in fact, he said, I'm innocent of everything you accuse me of. And they said, oh, think hard, Job. There must be a secret. Maybe you don't even know it, but you've done something wrong. You've tinked God off in some way or another. And we think that way too. And so the tongues wagged. They were childless. And Job was just a, a mockery of the rest of the priests because he had not been chosen. Now, we think the people talked, but I got to tell you that even uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth were a bit concerned. They were personally affected by the scandal. Because we are later told when Elizabeth does become pregnant, miracle of miracle, the word of God and the promise of God was fulfilled. She said, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. What disgrace? A disgrace for not having children? Would we think that you're disgraced or that my wife is disgraced because she is not able to conceive or I'm not able to uh, give her a child? There's no disgrace in that. We know better, but not then. Elizabeth even felt disgraced. And Zechariah must have felt disgraced. We know now that that had nothing to do with it. And so all the judgment that was passed on them because Zechariah had not been chosen, because Elizabeth had not become pregnant, that had nothing to do uh, with their relationship to God. But there were scandals. 
they did uh, suffer from scandals uh, that are real. We'll get to it in a minute here as soon as they flip my switch. Uh, the real scandals of Zechariah and Elizabeth are these. Zechariah no longer believed that God could do the impossible. I call this the scandal of managed expectation. Zechariah gave up on miracles. No longer believed that God could actually do miracles. At least not the miracle that he wanted so badly in his life. What did you want to become when you were a child? You know, what aspirations did you have for yourself? I love it when I'm in the store and I, I see these little girls come in in princess dresses. You know, uh, rubber boots and princess dress. You know, they're fit for public. You know, or, or young boys come in with uh, capes on, you know, some superhero. And uh, no one can convince them not to wear those things. They'll wear them every day. And it doesn't immediately go away. Uh, whether you're in middle school or whether you're in high school, you'll ask a young person, what do you hope to become when you grow up? I'm going to be an NFL superstar. I'm going to go to Broadway. I'm going to be a famous singer. And I'm going to sell millions of records. And that's what they believe. When did you stop believing that anything is possible? Uh, for me, I wanted to be a truck driver, actually. Uh, I lived in a small town. and In fact, it was a uh, it was a really run-down town, and I lived on the run side down of a run-down town and on the wrong side of the tracks of the run-down city that I lived in. You know, that, but through my city ran Highway 24, just like Highway 66, you know, and the truck drivers used to drive through there, and I would see those trucks, and I'd see those guys sitting up there, and i think, wow, that's like the Pony Express of my time. These guys are headed to incredible places, and I, anywhere out of here, you know, that was my aspiration. Now... It's okay if you choose an aspiration different than that. I think I could have achieved that goal. But the fact that I've become a pastor is beyond my imagination. I would have never even thought that I could become a pastor in those days. When did you stop believing in miracles? When did you stop believing that anything was possible? When did you begin to suffer the scandal of managed expectation? When did prayer for you become mere meditation? A quiet time to think good thoughts. A mantra like yoga. When did worship for you become a check-the-box experience? Like, well, we went last week. We don't need to go again. When did you stop becoming eager to believe that God would say a word to you when you opened the Bible? Or are you prepared to listen to a message? When did you stop expecting God to have a word for you personally? When did you begin to embrace the scandal of managed expectations? Don't get your hopes up too high, because these things just don't happen. The scripture says, you desire things, but you don't get them. So you quarrel and you fight. You get upset. You do not have because you no longer expect. And when you ask, you don't receive because your motives are wrong. You ask for those things merely for your own personal advancement. Not for the advancement of others. Not for the glory of God. But selfishly. When did you begin to doubt that God wants to use you in a special way to accomplish something uniquely special in the world for the benefit of others, to his glory, and certainly for your benefit? 
God's intervention in Zechariah's life is not just a historic story that helps us to know, well, isn't that interesting? It's a reminder that God does miraculous things. He did it for them. Beyond anybody's imagination, beyond Zechariah's belief, God still does miracles. The whole Christmas story is about God doing this miracle of saying, despite your unfaithfulness, I still love you. I'm giving you my son, Jesus Christ. And if I give this greatest of all gifts, and if I meet this greatest of all needs, will I not along with him meet your lesser needs as well? Why do you no longer believe that I can do miraculous things? The story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is an affront to the scandal of managed expectations. But that's not the only scandal. Zechariah and Elizabeth began to believe the lie that faithfulness doesn't matter. Your faithfulness doesn't matter. You're no better off if you're faithful or if you're unfaithful. I call it the scandal of divine detachment. God has removed himself. Either he doesn't know about me or he doesn't care about me. My faithfulness doesn't even matter to him. Really? It goes to the question of motive. Are you faithful because you want to get something from God? Is, is, is that a wager that you're laying so that he will pay, you know, some dividend? Or do you believe that faithfulness has its own reward? God isn't like us. You know, God is so much greater, but we should aspire to have the attitudes that he displays towards us. The Bible says, you know, God doesn't give because we're so faithful to him. It says in the Sermon on the Mount that God causes, Jesus said, his father causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the fields of the righteous and the unrighteous because that's who he is. Do you practice righteousness because that's who you are? Regardless of the response that you get from it? Regardless of whether it's a blessing that you receive or only more trouble? You know, do you behave simply because this is your nature, because this is your character, and faithfulness is its own reward? God does recognize the faithful. In fact, uh, all of these stories that we're going to be focusing on before the birth of Jesus are a reminder that God knows your name and your faithfulness matters. Zachariah and Elizabeth were <laughs> nondescript priest and wife, lived in the hill country. doesn't even tell us what city they lived in. Mary and Joseph lived in a place so far removed from Jerusalem. Uh, later, when they said, we've met the Savior, Jesus, from Nazareth, Nathaniel said, nothing good comes out of there, nothing. But God knew that it did. God knew they were there. God knew their name. God cared about shepherds. No one cared about shepherds. Shepherd was a job anybody could get. But God realized they were important. These foreign dignitaries, God brought the message to them that the Savior was born. It wasn't a message reserved only for those who knew him, but also those whom he would want to know. God does know your name. The Bible also says in the Sermon on the Mount that he knows the very number of the hair on your head. He knows when a bird falls to the ground. And, and he causes weeds that grow up to be beautiful, even though they don't matter and they're burned in the wood, or burned in the fire. If he does this for insignificant things, won't he do so much more for you? The scandal of divine detachment that Zechariah and Elizabeth were feeling that it doesn't matter to be faithful is just not true. 
it matters. And faithfulness has its own reward. And there's a final scandal in their life too. Zechariah could not bring himself to trust in a blatant promise that God made to him. You will have a son. He said, I can't have a son. I'm old and my wife is old too. It's not possible. He couldn't believe in the blatant promise of God, the candid promise of God. I'm going to do this for you. Uh, when my oldest son was in college, uh, I, I had business in the area, and so I, I drove through, and I was going to take him to dinner, and, and uh, he was out of his room, and I left a message there. I had to take care of some things, and I was going to come back later, and so I left a message about that. But I also noticed some note cards on his desk because he was studying languages at the time, became a pastor eventually, and, and I turned one of his note cards over, and I wrote on it because I knew he was struggling uh, with, the, with the rigors of academia, and I wrote uh, on that card, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And uh, I, I entered into his office many years later when he was already a pastor, and he still had that note card. And he had it taped to the computer screen in his office. I thought, wow, I kept that all these years. And, and then uh, just a week or so ago, we were out in Idaho where he pastors now, and uh, we threw his oldest daughter out of her bedroom because grandparents take precedent over the oldest daughter and uh, so she had to go sleep in a bunk bed with her youngest brother imagine that uh, being a teenager and all and 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 yet on her wall was this statement uh, in a plaque that he had found it says there was once a girl who believed that she could and so she did that was interesting you know that he was passing that attitude on you know your perception becomes your reality The scandal of the empty promise. Zechariah no longer believed that God could fulfill his promise. You know, if we can will our future, how much more can God accomplish our future by virtue of his promise? There's a scripture in James chapter 1 that says, When you ask of God, when you pray to God, you must believe that he can accomplish these things. If If you doubt, you're like a wave that is tossed this way and that way by conditions that you find yourself in. That person should not expect that God's going to do anything for them. You know, when we pray and when we act on God's promises, those promises can become reality in my life because I know this about God. I know that he loves me, and I know that he's almighty creator of heaven and earth. So I know that he can do whatever I ask. It's like going to a a father uh, or a mother who loves you. Or a friend, and you just say, I'm facing this. Can you help me? And they say, I will help you. You don't know how they're going to help you, but you know it's handled. You know it's going to be taken care of because you have that relationship with them. That's the way we should be in our attitude towards God. His promises will be fulfilled. Maybe not in the way that I expect or not in the way that I dictate because I am not God. I am not God. He is God. But I know he's going to handle it. Because he cares for me, and he has my best interest at heart. The Apostle Paul came to believe this and came to understand it and teach it when he said, I have learned to be content no matter what my conditions of life. I've learned to be content whether I have nothing or whether I have a lot. It doesn't really matter my circumstance. You know, I'm happy in whatever circumstance I find myself. The secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living with plenty or living with nothing, I can do all things through the one who gives me strength. 
The whole Christmas message is a fulfillment of a promise that God made. When Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, he said, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to bring a Savior. And the entire Old Testament is a prophet after prophet saying he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And now we're, we're seeing the fulfillment of the promise that God made. What promises has he made to you that you're no longer picking up on, that you no longer believe? Zechariah could not accept that God could do what God said he could do. How many of us have given up hope that God's promises will be fulfilled? The story of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth is that God is scandal immune. Other people may gossip about us. Other people may speculate about why we suffer or why we endure what we endure. But this is true. When the whole world walks out on us, God walks in on us. You may quit believing in God, but God will never quit believing in you. No matter whether you're suffering from the scandal of managed expectations, like, hey, let's not get too crazy about this miracle stuff, you know. If it happens, that might be a coincidence, but miracle. Last night, I was conducting worship. And I remember it was, it was like a month ago, or maybe even two months ago, that a, a mom and dad were in church. And they came up and said, Pastor, our son was downtown, and he was where he shouldn't have been doing something he shouldn't have done, and he got mugged. He got mugged so severely and kicked so hard that they don't think he's going to live. They broke his neck. And they don't think he'll ever walk or speak again. And I went down uh, at their request and I, I prayed for that man. And he was in a halo, you know, with the screws there to stabilize his neck. And, and we prayed for him. Last night he came in church and he was walking with a cane. And uh, he hugged me and he spoke clearly to me. God does miracles. I believe that. And we should always believe that. We should not believe that God doesn't do miracles anymore. And we shouldn't believe that faithfulness doesn't matter. It matters to others. It matters to you, regardless of the benefit that you receive or don't receive from it. And you should know also that uh, God knows your name. You matter to him. And he keeps his word. He keeps his promises. The whole Christmas season is that truth revealed. Let's pray. Lord, we're human. Zachariah and Elizabeth were models of faithfulness. And yet they succumb to weakness. Lord, we have all here. We are no better and most of us worse. And we succumb to weakness in matters of faith. Uh, Lord, bless us and enter into our life in a way that, uh, that we realize, in a way that gives us confidence, in a way that causes us to look forward to every day because of the surprise and the possibility of a miracle that you might do because you love us so much. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.